Hello, and welcome to Modest Conversations. I'm here with my Finn co-founder and former Venmo uh, co-founder, Andrew Cortina. Cortina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So today we're going to talk about lines. Okay, I had, the, I had this thought the other day. I was walking down the street in San Francisco, and I saw this huge line of people waiting for a bakery. It's the type of line you see at that cronut shop in New York where it's just an insane line that I'm sure can't be merited by the food that you're actually <laughs> going to purchase. And it got me thinking about how I feel like people love waiting in lines. I kind of hate waiting in lines. Um, uh, but I, I just, I was thinking about like the, the kind of like social dynamics of this and like, why does this happen? I think one of the things about lines is that there are this sort of social proof that a bunch of other people who are not you, who presumably have taste that's better than yours. <laughs> Depends what they look like when they're waiting. Yeah, online, exactly. Right? Uh, but they like something. So therefore it must be good and it has to be worth waiting in line for. Because otherwise there'd be no marginal cut value in, in the good. Right. Exactly. It reminds me, not to derail you, but do you ever see the old, there's an old Star Trek episode where these two civilizations, it's actually, it's relevant to lines. These two civilizations are like at war with each other, but they're very evolved. So rather than being at war and actually like fighting on battlefronts, what they do is they have two incinerators and they just have their people march into the incinerators until one of them gives up. Whoa. <laughs> That's incredible. I have not seen that. But. So yeah. Where, so, can I, where can I go find that? Right I'm now? sure it's on the internet. It's got to be. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. That's no, just a different type of line. I, lo I love digressions. <laughs> They're just like a squiggly line. Um, anyway, so it, it is, I guess it, there's this sort of like social signaling aspect to lines. But also you would, you would kind of think that when the line gets long enough, you'd just see a competitor pop up next door and have no line sell kind of the same thing. And so like, why doesn't that happen? Or like, why do people like continue to tolerate this long line? And I, I was thinking maybe like today, one, people are more tolerant of waiting in lines because they can just mess around on their cell phone and distract themselves for yeah. a little while. And it doesn't feel like the cost of waiting in line yeah. is as high as it actually is because you're distracted. Yeah. Well, my favorite on that is, is talk about another line is on the tarmac, right? When you're yeah. waiting to take off. It used to be that if you got like an hour delayed, people would like literally lose their shit. And now it's like still pretty bad, but at least you can just pop up in the internet. Like it's way worse. Here's the, here's the idea. You're much happier getting stuck on the tarmac than you are circling to land, right? Because yes. you have the internet in one place and because you're under 10,000 feet, you don't have the internet in the other place. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. The question is though, whether or not, like this is just a perceived difference or if it's actually uh, better. My guess is it's a little bit of both, and like the, it's actually not as good as people think it is. Because if you're in line waiting at the bakery, what what are you actually doing there that is valuable, right? Yeah. Like, would you actually be doing the things on your phone that you end up doing if you had that time back to yourself? Like, you would probably rather spend that time playing with your kid or something. Totally. Um, but it just feels like you're utilizing that time and not wasting it because you're distracted on your phone yeah i think this is and this goes back to the whole i think it's alan Kay's whole thing about like the phone is not a creator device it's just a consumption device at this point and totally. we, we we convince ourselves 
that this is all free time when actually it's not free time. It's time that like you can do one or two activities which are not waiting or whatever the core work you're doing and therefore feel more free. But the whole snackable content is a negative effectively. Yeah, and it's it's insidious kind of the way that like, I don't know, junk food is insidious, right? Like you need some amount of calories to survive and so therefore it's easy to like forget that a lot of calories are actually really bad for you. Yeah. Um, well, I think one thing that you and I have talked about before, which I think is kind of interesting, is you take like the company we're working on, like Finn, it's just a whole series of lines, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's you know, you think about like literally lines waiting to get in and then lines, uh, and then we basically have to figure out how to like manage the queue or lines of work requests coming in. And then we have to figure out how to like manage the queue of demand for work from people on the company to do the work. Like it's just it's this whole series of kind of, um, I don't know, issues of queuing and, and line management, which is kind of fascinating because you talk about like, on to your point about that, um, social media or, or content on your phone, I feel like I wonder if it's the same internally, like when you're working, like so much of work is waiting to have work to do. Yeah, totally. I mean, we've, I think we've talked about this in the past with the investment banking analyst. Yeah. Supposedly this, I mean, I think actually is a pretty grueling job lots of late nights, but a lot of the daytime, you're just waiting for something to land on your desk, yeah. which doesn't happen until 11 o'clock at night, and then you have to scramble to like four in the morning to actually get your work done. Yeah, so it's, it means, because you think about normally the people who are waiting at work is like ER doctors, ideally, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it turns out, I think if you think more broadly about it, like anytime you're at your desk and they're, you're getting paid without a clear next thing you must do or like a clear prioritization. And so you find yourself, you know, just like, you know, being on tarmac, like uh, on your phone, scanning YouTube or whatever, that's effectively like, it feels okay, right? It feels like you're at work and not working. But the reality is, is you can't really, you're not really free from waiting, right? You're still waiting in a, in a confined environment and not able to do what you want. Yeah, totally. I mean, just one of the things that's been interesting about working on Finn has been understanding efficiency of information work and utilization. And when you really pay attention to that stuff and measure it, and also just when you work in a way that is metric, you kind of, you feel how different it is to be fully occupied and just trying to work nonstop compared to taking a break to go on YouTube every 10 minutes and my guess is that the utilization of the average person working at a desk in this country has to be below 50 percent oh for sure i bet it's more like 20 i mean just based on the analysis you we've been working on and things we've been doing yeah i mean my my bet is that you probably get and this goes into the whole like productivity myth right where it isn't actually productivity has expanded dramatically in america like technology does make us way more efficient. But interestingly, because we're not good at managing lines, right, what we've ended up doing is like taking all this, creating all this like effectively free time where we have nothing to do with it effectively, right? And so you just end up with people waiting online. Yeah. Like one of the things that we often look at is retail to try to like learn from. And if you were Starbucks and you have a rush hour and tons of customers are always showing up if you don't have enough people on staff, you have a huge line. Yep. If you totally overstaff, there's no line of customers, but you have all these people sitting around in line 
waiting to make yeah, coffees. Totally. And I feel like every, you know, kind of white collar corporation is in this mode where they've totally overstaffed, probably because they want to be able to handle these surges. And you, you can't, you know, you can't spin up a person <laughs> the way you can spin up a server yeah. on demand and just say like, okay, I need an hour of work done now, go home. I need an hour of work done now. You have people who are effectively sitting on call at their desk, yep. which... Well, the, in fairness, that's the way computers used to be, too, right? When you had to buy them and rack them, right? Yeah, now totally. that, like, it's a cloud... I mean, this is... I actually think this might be just even more broadly, like, two important points I think you just elicited. One is the whole game, I feel like, in productivity, as much as it is, is just getting people out of lines right, on both sides. Like, customers shouldn't be in lines and, like service provider shouldn't be online waiting, right? Just yep. if no removing wait time creates a huge amount of value in the world that's not being captured. And then two, this is the really interesting thing is like tech companies get such leverage out of quote unquote clouds, right? Where basically they don't the computers at least, which do most of the work, right, don't have to wait online. Yeah. I mean they, actually the irony is they're absolutely waiting online. Like everything about computers is line management. <laughs> like from yeah. how they actually work. But the upshot is is like you're not like I mean the idle capacity isn't as much of an issue whereas with corporations that have people involved and this is the inefficiency of people it's interesting I wonder how much of the, so much of the inefficiency is just the fact they have to wait oh totally totally and it I think it's a it results from this the synchronicity there's a ton of efficiency and synchronicity in being in the same room as somebody at the same yep. time and being able to talk to them and communicate in real time there's certainly lots of inefficiency in uh, asynchronous communication or like email versus in person or video chat. Well, but interestingly, I mean, this is an interesting thing because I would actually argue that email is probably the most efficient form of communication. Well, this is where I was going to get to. Ah, so okay. it's like, <laughs> well, like writing the email is probably less efficient than, you know, uh, taking the time to talk to somebody in person. Because it's asynchronous, it creates this slack yeah. in the system, which is so freeing from all these uh, flow problems yeah. of, of work piling up, right? And so, like the this is why like ordering ahead is a great solution because you can like batch a bunch of work, yeah. use some resources, and kind of spread it out over the whole morning when yeah. everybody's there and have it all ready to go when everybody comes in at lunch, and you don't have to like handle everything in this as it comes in this tiny window of time when there's peak demand so yeah. there's this game of like kind of can you basically email is essentially the equivalent of shifting around demand for somebody else's attention I mean, can you can you time shift things in a way yeah where you can fully utilize people and then when somebody sits down at their desk they can just burn through all this work that has piled up for them yes and they can do it in like a flow state, right? Yeah. They can just, I think that's the real, it's it's almost like even every everything requires boot time to some degree. It, it's, it's, I don't know, rhythm is really interesting in this because I think that in terms of human efficiency, because I go back to this like whole debate about like whether Slack is either literally the most efficient tool in the world or like the least efficient tool in the world, right? And there yeah. are people who say it's the most efficient because I can reach anyone whenever I want and find out an answer. And by the way, I don't need to necessarily communicate all context up front because you can ask clarifying questions. Like this is actually, I think, something people like in theory about common ideas about chatbots, 
right, quote unquote, is like you can kind of play this iterative game, right, to get to the right answer, which might be more efficient if there was nothing else going on, right, in a vacuum, right, because you don't have to communicate the entire bundle of demand or information with context up front. But interestingly, the reality is if you look at email, the nice part about that is it requires a little bit more work up front, right, to structure properly. Like it's more expensive for the requester. Yeah. Um, because you know that you can't answer clarifying questions necessarily. Um, but it's so much more efficient for the processor. Yes. Yeah, it, it, I guess another way to think about it is you're, you're sort of trading... Um, you're trading around latency. Yeah. Right? Like the asynchronous... There's a lot more latency in the asynchronous model, but then it frees all the actors to utilize this time in the gap. So it may take longer if you, you know, phone in the order, maybe it takes longer in wall clock time yep. to actually get the result. But you can be fully utilized in a way like playing soccer with your kid in the park that you can't when you're standing waiting in line. Yeah. I think the the maybe one of the upshots is, you know, what does this what is the impact of this on the value of specialization, right? Because if you're super specialized, you have fewer options for how to use that latency. Mm-hmm. But if you accept the fact that this latency is actually more efficient in terms of like the flow properties of the system, maybe it makes sense for more people to just have a bunch more skills so they can be fully utilized like while they're waiting on all these asynchronous back and forth interactions. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe that, that'd be one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is just, okay, at the most extreme, imagine there was a specialist in the world, right? Make up some crazy specialty where like they, they are the only one in the world that can do something. And when it's requested to them, it must be done within 30 seconds, right? Um, but there aren't, and it's extremely valuable. It's worth like $10 million every time you do it correctly. I'm making up like the most specialist of specialist crazy example. Interestingly, that person would be waiting online constantly. Yeah. Right? Like, they would basically spend their entire year waiting for that one task. And if they really have to be on call, like, they can't go off and hike with their kids in the woods. Right? Like, that's, like, the nature, the signature of the work creates that incredible... Whereas on the other extreme, if you have someone who's a total generalist, right? Like, someone who can help out with anything. I mean, honestly, an assistant's a pretty good example of this. Right? Um then ideally they can be highly utilized all the time, right? And then they can truly disconnect, right? Because, especially if they're highly interchangeable, right? Because you end up with a world where like, okay, like you, you're, you know, the, any individual task you do is not as valuable as that one, but there is less of a requirement around availability. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is the other thing, which is like the whole idea, this, this is not a new debate, but the idea that like our cell phones, because we're always on demand, have kind of are always available, have both made work never ending, but also I would argue shorten the amount of time you need to be quote unquote in the office. It certainly shortens the amount of time you need to be in the office, but you're effectively always on call, which right. is like the sneaky and trade that happens. That is the sneaky trade. Is I which. It's debatable whether or not that's good for anyone. Like, is that even, you know, you could, on the one hand, you could say, like, oh, it's good for the employers because they're, like, squeezing out all this sort of, like, work from people when they're not in the office and not clocked in. But, I don't know, I wonder how efficient it actually is compared to just being in and focused in the time that you're in. Yeah. 
I think it's a really interesting question um, just for lots of people. It's also just an interesting uh, question, I think, almost politically, because, you know, it's fascinating like, what you're supposed to, I mean, you're, you're supposed to pay people as an employer for all the time, for non-managers, I think is the rule. Anyone who's like a non-manager is supposed to be paid by the hour, yeah. right? I wonder, it's interesting, on one hand, how low the productivity is of the hours you now buy as an employer. Oh, totally. Right, super low. But on the flip side, to your point, you're basically getting a bunch of free work out of band at the same time. It's just very poor accounting is almost the way I would think about it. Right? Like you don't yeah. really know. Employer. As an individual, you don't really know how much you're working. Yes. And as like an employer, you don't really know how much you're paying per unit of work. Yeah. <laughs> and the poor accounting, I would say, is probably just the result of uh, poor measurement. Right? right. And so the, I guess the question is like, suppose you had very accurate measurement and could do better accounting. Just hypothetically, of yeah. course. <laughs> <laughs> what does the system look like, right? And how is it, uh, does it actually perform better than this poor accounting scenario? Well, I think it certainly can. I mean, I, I mean, for sure, for anything with like SLAs or effective SLAs approach to it, like basically, I would argue that anything that is an SLA driven Exercise, where like you make a request or something needs to get done, and needs to hit a certain deadline, and has like certain parameters that make it like win or lose. Um, it's supply and demand balancing, which is effectively this question of like, okay, like you're gonna have lines if you screw up supply and demand balancing, and so how do you manage those lines? Right. So there's like the reserved instance approach, which yes. is just pay somebody for a bunch of time that they're under-occupied for. Yes. Or there's the surge pricing model. We do model, that with Jenkins. Right? <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but then on the other hand, you have surge pricing, which is scarier because you potentially have, like, an infinite well, it's also, cost. Well, it's also unnuanced, I would argue, surge pricing, because it implies that, like, the problem with surge pricing is that it's basically, it basically it's, it's a line management tactic, right? And, like, the way you manage a line with surge pricing is you basically say, look... Like, bakery's almost out of bread, or, you know, we, we can only serve so many loaves per hour, highest bidder wins, which is fine if you're trying to maximize baking revenue on that day, but honestly, like, pretty bad. If, one, the reality is people, like, want different things that, that are of actual different value to them, right? Like, it's not, it's clear, it's also, like, I think a pretty poor strategy for, like, long-term health, right, of, like, a relationship or a business. So if if you take the equivalent of like or the inverse of like surge wages when there's peak demand it is less desirable because it's not smooth and well it's just creates it's a worse not reliable life. enough to like yeah it creates a worse lifestyle like can right. you it's like it basically your uncertainty is not fun right for an employer for someone who wants work or someone who has work to give right like and, and the idea that, like, because of external factors beyond your control, you pay question mark, right, or you earn question mark, I think that's an extremely hard way to live. Like, people need predictability in order to be able to rely upon things, right? Um, and so there are other ways you can think about surge pricing. When you basically say, hey, so things are really backed up, only, you know, our best customers first, people use us the most first, or only new customers first. Like, there's all sorts of models for management, or only this type of task, right? Like, or only this type, like, you know, we're, we're backed up at the bakery, so we're only serving coffee and bread, nothing more, no fancy, you know, bar drinks, right? Yeah. Like, so there, there are all these different strategies for managing effectively the order in which you do work, right, to maximize value. Um, they all have pitfalls. I mean, I think the best scenario is you can just, like, 
effectively do capacity planning well, right, and provide predictability on both sides of the equation. But I guess you then don't get the uh, the long the large backup outside of Tartine that makes it look really cool, right? Yeah, because people aren't demonstrating their willingness to wait online because the quality is so high. Yes, although <laughs> most of the time you don't really have that on the internet. Generally, people are like if you have an internet business, the line is very rarely to your advantage. But sometimes it is. Sometimes I've seen it's it been is. used to to people's advantage. Yeah, I, it doesn't seem to last quite as long as the physical line uh, market. Well, you know tactic. why, though? I think there's actually a good reason for this, which is with the internet, it's really hard to wait on a line repeatedly. Like, the line has to clear at some point. You're not going to wait on the same line over and over and over. Whereas with Tartine, I would argue it's 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 uh, it's very much like that Star Trek episode where you're just, like, incinerating people, right, instead of going to war. Because you're just, like, proving effectively... You're demonstrating your willingness to con- repeatedly spend... <laughs> right, because the quote-unquote outcome is worth it. Right, 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 right. Anyway, well, it was interesting. I mean, lines are fascinating. Yes, we should probably go work on some lines. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. <laughs>